Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome inside Garage Door Sports. Your no-holds-barred weekly discussion on everything in the sporting world. For all your news on hockey, baseball, basketball, football, soccer, and more, you've come to the right place. And now, it's time for your hosts, Nick McVicker, Kyle Vardy, and Irfan Manji. That's right, folks. We are back. Nick McVicker joined through the Garage Door Sports Cup phone by my great co-host, Irfan Manji. Irfan, man, it's been a while. We've missed you, but you're back. You're finally back. It's been a couple of weeks. Good to be back. Um, Good to see you. Uh, Unfortunately, we're not with Kyle this week. I think him and I are just alternating now. (laughs) Yeah, you're just on opposite sides of the world, apparently, every time we need to do a show. Um, but it's good to be back. How are you doing this morning? I'm good, man. Good. Happy to be back. I took the week off last week for Canada Day and uh, I guess Independence Day south of the border. Um, got a little refresh, recharged. Uh, I know you maybe didn't because you're still working on your thesis, <laughs> but the rest of us did. So uh, ready to go, ready to get back into this thing, man. And we got a lot to talk about because the past two weeks have been um, chaos in the sporting world, I guess is Super the best chaotic. way to put it. Super chaotic. Jeez. So there's like three different tournaments. There's the cup. There's the finals. Of, you know, there's so much going on. There's so much going on. And honestly, it's been at the same time that I say chaos, it's been a lot of fun, like watching everything unfold. I mean, we've seen the Stanley Cup finals. We've seen the NBA finals. You mentioned the Euros, the Copa America, the, the Gold Cup is starting up today. So all the lead up into that the CPL has started up here in Canada. Uh, the CFL is getting underway soon so all those guys are in training camp uh we're seeing transfers left right and center over in europe we're talking about huge names moving everywhere it's been fun to watch as as an outsider like not being involved in it thankfully but 100 percent, especially because last year uh, it was dead silence it was radio silence on every end it was just like there's nothing happening the only thing that's like the nhl was starting to come back at this point last year yeah the NBA was starting to come back. Yeah. Like to think about it last year, today was the first show of 20 minutes on ice when we were doing our Western conference uh, recap. Mm-hmm. That's crazy, man. It's been a year. It's yeah. been a year and now we're here and there's so much going <laughs> on. So, you know what? We got to get right into it. So let's get into yeah. it with our kickoff segment sponsored by Canada kicking Academy. Calling all kickers and punters in the Southern Ontario region. If you are looking for year-round professional development with elite competition, you need to train with the Canada Kicking Academy. The Ferraro brothers, Daniel and Gabe, are both University of Guelph alumni, and after illustrious university careers, they want to teach you everything they've learned over the years. If you want to take your special teams game to the next level, you need to train with the Canada Kicking Academy. Visit them at CanadaKickingAcademy.com or follow them on Instagram at Canada Kicking Academy. And Irfan, today we're going to start with the NHL. Because we, we got it. It just finished Stanley Cups over. And, of course, Tampa has been crowned back-to-back Stanley Cup champions. So, I guess the real question is, were Tampa the best team this year? Yeah, because I guess they won. So, yeah, they're the best team this year. Um, but, I mean, you look at you look at the depth of that team. You look at the way they play. 
even if they lose a the game, it doesn't feel like they lost a the game. They're they're playing well. Um, so yeah, I guess that to answer your question, they were the best team this year. And um, big shout out to the Avs and the and the Golden Knights, who I think were the other two teams. They're probably the better better squads. Um, they're they're a Stanley Cup opponent, <laughs> maybe not so much, but um, the Habs got there. So congratulations to them for making it to the finals. First Canadian team since 2011. So that's pretty cool. But yes, the Tampa Bay Lightning are the best team in the in the league. Now the big uh, the big controversy obviously is the salary cap and how Tampa mm-hmm. kind of circumvented the salary cap and they had a 98.8 million dollar team playing in the final yep uh what do you make of all that is that an issue for you did they do anything that you thought was kind of shady or was it just they followed the rules they followed the rules i mean i think tampa was one of the few teams that opposed this uh massaged salary cap in the playoffs um a few years back but nothing happened from it so the fact that they're within rules they're within their rights to do whatever they need as long as they're within salary cap during the year and then they can play with it after and i think if you're going to follow the rules hey this is the best example you can go overboard if you have to i mean the leafs have done it before where they've had guys on injury lists and then the playoffs come back and they're like oh look at that we can afford to put a full squad in and that's what makes the playoffs fun and exciting is when you have a full squad with the best players that you have um so i think Tampa Bay, to be honest with you, they they follow the rules and they and they won. So people complaining that they're what is it, fifteen million dollars over the cap? Well, then maybe point. your team. Eight. So then your team should do the same thing. I mean, they're within the rules. Maybe they'll they'll change them at the GM meetings because I think if you have a cap during the year, it should be the same cap during the playoffs. But um, if it's within the rules, they did well. Well, I guess the real issue is that Kucherov sat the whole year, right? So like, mm. could he probably have come back in the regular season? Probably. Probably. And that's why people are so up in arms is that if he came back in the regular season, this team would have been playing down a man for like three weeks at least mm-hmm. because he was his salary was just too high. And I, I get why people are upset 100%. Like it is, it is circumventing the rules, but at the same time, they didn't break any of the rules. They followed all the rules laid out to them, so mm-hmm. you can't really blame them for it, I guess. So yeah. I'm with you. I don't think it's a big issue, especially considering Tampa was one of like three or four teams that tried to change the rule like five years ago, they did. and it fell on deaf ears. So hey, you played if, yourself, if means, NHL. You played they did. Yourself. I mean, especially if they won two Stanley Cups in back-to-back years, I think it needs to get revisited if you're so worried about it. If not, But hey, last man, year they didn't going. circumvent the cap. No, but I mean, I'm just saying that if that's the next progression and that's what teams are going to do, you're going to see players sit longer, get healthier longer, maybe come in a little cold. But if you're a world-class player like Kucherov, it doesn't make a difference if you missed a year. You're still going to score. I mean, if you watch that first series against Florida, I wouldn't say Kucherov was like lights out outside of the power play. Obviously on the power play, he he was... ridiculously good on the power right, play. right right like but he couldn't find his legs play. that fast yeah. but at the same time he was so good that he can he still yeah absolutely um, gave to the game right like he absolutely. wasn't out of place right uh we got to talk about the other side of the the final right and mm. the habs man they deserve so much credit for what they've done this year like a lot of people ripped on them because they were fourth in the north and everyone said the north was so weak and to be fair it kind of was um but the reason that they were fourth in the North was because they had so many injuries this year. Like, think about the big name players that went down for them for stretches, including and like Carey Price is the obvious one. 
Mm-hmm. They lost their number one goalie for a stretch with a concussion. And then he comes back and it's like, all right, well, I guess we're okay now. Like, <laughs> I thought Jake Allen did a, a bad job in the crease either. Like, I think he was decent. Jake Allen is one of the best backup goalies in the league, if not the best backup goalie in the league. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how good of a backup goalie Jake Allen is because he's a legitimate starter in the NHL on, well, not many teams because I would say he's like that next tier. Mm-hmm. But he could probably start for four or five teams in the NHL next season if he wanted to. Am I wrong with that statement? I think that's true. No, he can start for maybe one or two Canadian teams as well if they needed a goalie. Which they do. Yeah. And we'll get into that in the offseason, I'm sure. <laughs> but it just is it's so funny to me because like everyone is ripping on the halves all they didn't deserve to be in the final. They didn't bleh, bleh. Are you kidding me? Yes, they did. They were probably the best built team in the North. So they walked through the two teams that they, well, they didn't walk through the Leafs, but they beat the two teams that they played in the North Division in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And then they went up against one of the undisputed top three teams in the league in Vegas. And they, they ended up losing the first game and then won four out of five. See, I think what it is is people keep looking at what's on paper. And they go, eh, they don't really surprise us. They don't really shock us. I'm not really afraid of this team. But when you watch them play, they come in at waves. And that was something you and I spoke about with Kyle as well during the regular season is good teams in the league come in you, come at you in waves. Like yeah. Vegas does a good job rolling their lines. Uh, the Avs did a good job rolling their lines. Mini did a good job this year, for example. So the fact that Montreal was able to get that transition and get that movement going, and it just felt like no one was better than anyone. I mean, everyone knew their role. And I think when you come into the playoffs, if you know your role and you play as a team, this is the sort of advantage you're going to have yeah, collectively. Also, and then it also helps because then you're not exhausted by the end of the third period, right? Everyone's right. played about the same. Right. So you got guys coming into the last 10 minutes of the third only playing 14 minutes. Mm-hmm. So but you I, can you can go into overtime and the Habs overtime record was like six and one or five and one. And you're like, I think it was seven and Oh, Wasn't there it you seven go. And one in the playoffs or something like that. Yeah, it was. It was five and one when uh, just before the uh, Josh Anderson scores. I don't think. I think it was six and one. Six and one. Okay. Six yeah, and something one. like that. But like that's ridiculous. Like, and you look at the path that they took. You know, they beat the Leafs, they beat the Jets, they beat Vegas, and then they beat Tampa in overtime. So, uh, on your point there, their players didn't look exhausted. They were just coming at you. They were just equally there and then when you have carry price in net i think makes a huge difference because when he's on his game he's hard to beat and this team is is built to last like this isn't a i don't think this is a one and done run for the habs like carry price well, is obviously I, signed I for so. how many how many seasons but <laughs> you got a few ufas obviously Corey perry's on uh ufa joel armia philippe Deneau, eric stahl thomas tatar who didn't even play in the playoffs by the way so mm-hmm. he's probably gone so really out of those guys you got to sign armia you got to sign to i know perry wants to come back so he'll probably take a discount stall eh, you could sign him back but you could also probably find someone better in that range um and then they have Lekkinen and uh Kot are both RFAs. And then the two defensemen that are UFAs are Gustafson and Merrill. Yeah, their core is still there. Right? That's I that think core is in can, a very good spot. They can add a bottom six uh, and a bottom four defenseman. So forward and defenseman. I think and they'll and then they'll be okay. I think 
the fact that they they had a a good playoff run after changing their coach, changing sort of the identities, changing the mold also speaks volumes. And I think you know full credit to to Deshaun um, as well. Actually, um, full credit just, to that whole coaching staff, especially when Deshaun was out. Yeah, because they oh, still look like a formidable team. They they I think they looked a little better when he was out. <laughs> My life uh, is I wouldn't say that. I think no. I think they, the, I think the coaches got stuck with the. So this is what me and Ryan talked about a lot on 20 Minutes on Ice in the in the game shows, is that I think the coaching staff got very stuck with the roll four lines. Mm-hmm. When in the end, like the last 10 minutes of the third, you kind of have to play to your strength. So you got to play the guys mm-hmm. who've been playing well in the game. Yeah. So like you didn't see a whole lot of extra of the Caulfield, Suzuki, Anderson line at the end of games, even right. though they were probably the best line in game, I think it was game two. Mm-hmm. And yet Corey Perry was out. Yeah. At on a f- six on four, right? And Co- right. Caulfield was on the bench, and I'm just like, that's not right. Like, I understand that you mm-hmm. have this mentality that you are a four line team, and I get that you roll with that, but you roll with that for 50 minutes, and then you make adjustments for the last 10. Right. I didn't see that from the coaching staff. I I saw it maybe a little bit more from Deshaun when he came back, but even he was very very stuck in his ways. Right. And I think that's just the young, like first year sort of co- coach thinking because he's just trying to figure out what he's good at. And I mean, if they, but the thing is, we said it that Montreal's strength was the four line wave. So why not stick to it, especially I, if it's working? But I, I guess totally the last 10 minutes when you have to do matchups, like you're saying, and Caulfield's your best player, Suzuki's probably your leader, your next future here. Um, you want to see more of them on the ice, but I also can't fault them for rolling their lines because that's their identity no and i get that and i understand that you need to roll your lines because rolling your lines throughout the game is really really important but you roll the lines to figure out who's playing well yeah. let's be honest in game two the deno line looked awful they couldn't get anything going so why are they out there with five minutes left and not and just getting hemmed in their own end because they can't make two passes whereas the suzuki cole and I think at that point it was uh, it was to Foley in game two because they moved Anderson mm-hmm. in game four. Um, why are they not out there? They were flying the whole game. Why are they being pinned to the bench? Because it's not their rotation. Like I, I just don't get that. I understand the first fifty minutes of a game. Absolutely, mm-hmm. roll your four lines. Figure out who's playing well. Last ten minutes. If you have not played well, if you have done nothing positive for the team, you're probably finding your butt on the bench. If it's me. Just because mm-hmm. we want to have, especially if it's a one-goal game, right? You need to have the guys that are net positive on the ice as much as possible in a one-goal game with 10 minutes left because you need to push to try to tie that game. And I just didn't see that from Montreal. And and you're right. It's a young coaching staff, so maybe they were just trying to get comfortable. So I guess we'll have to see how that plays out moving forward. But I get, that's just my one thing. I think they deserve so much credit. I think this team is built to make a few deep playoff runs. I think Brendan Gallagher might need to go, though. I just didn't see enough from him in the playoffs. There's there's things that they can do to move around to to get their young young guys playing, at least bring in some talent, because I think at the same time, any RFA is looking to come in. I mean, there's one on the market now, potentially, who needs to be traded. Um Maybe they can throw their their hat into that and see if they can pick up a perennial goal scorer. Because I mean, in in close games like this, you're in, you need a difference maker, and maybe that was, that was what was missing, especially when they were rolling their lines. Yeah, and there's there's a ton of top end talent that's that's available in the UFA market. So 
we yep. could see someone go there. They have fourteen million in cap space. Um, it could be interesting. Speaking of players who will possibly be on different teams next year, Irfan, news broke this week. Although it's not really news because it's been kind of talked about for a few weeks. But news broke this week that Vladimir Tarasenko has officially requested a trade out of St. Louis. Um, obviously, he's been a, he's been a huge player for these guys for a few years. But where do you think he ends up um, next year? Um, I think a lot of teams could use him. So I don't know if I can pinpoint anyone specifically. I know the Flames name has been thrown around, especially with Monaghan and then Kudrow really not living up to the expectations there. I know the Oilers are in on him and Duncan Keith. Um, Phoenix always <laughs> needs to get to the floor somehow. So uh, you have them. Um, I mean, I think Montreal should make a run at Vladimir Tarasenko if possible. I mean, at that 7.5 cap pip is a little high, but at the same time, he's a 30-goal scorer in a full regular season. Um, his ability to change the game, he can play two-way hockey. He's a, he's a leader in the locker room. I think he'd be an important player, especially if you can keep Corey Perry in that locker room. So you, you keep adding to your veterans, and then there's so many young guys onto this roster that you just wait to develop. And I mean, he has two years left on his contract, for example, and um, by then, you know, Caulfield and uh, Caulfield will be an RFA. So then if he has to leave, then at least you can give the money to Caulfield. And I think, I think timing wise, this two year deal for Vladimir Tarasenko makes a little bit more sense to go to Montreal. And, um, I, I think the haps for them to be successful. And I know you said they're going to be a competitive team, but I still think that they're a piece or two away from being that competitive team. And I think adding Vladimir Tarasenko, um, a goal scorer, that they've sort of not really had since Max Pacioretty, in my opinion, um, would bolster their offense. And I think people would take them a little bit more seriously and then understand why this team is actually very good. Absolutely. And I'm with you that they probably should take a run and just kind of feel it out. I wonder what the trade value is for Vladimir Tarasenko, right? Like how much he's going to be worth in the market. Mm -hmm. Um, I could see a few teams going for him. Florida might take a swing. They got a lot yeah. of young talent that they could move. Yeah. Um, Montreal, as you said, Calgary for sure, maybe flipping uh, to Chuck. I would say his name wrong, but I could see a, a Kachuk for um, Tarasenko deal just because both kind of want out. Cap hits are about the same. Mm-hmm. Both wingers could work for both teams sort of thing. And I mean, could you imagine Kachuk playing in the same jersey as his dad? I mean, it, it's a beautiful story. That would, be, that would be a good, nice story. I'm not really sure how motivated Tarasenko is to play anymore. Like, I know he's a great player. Don't get me wrong. But he didn't look like he wanted to play this past season, in my opinion. Well, maybe not for the Blues. And I think that might be something that's sort of... And I know... He, let, me, let me also make it very clear. I know he was injured, so I can't fault yeah. him too much. He only played in 24 games. But mm-hmm. it just he didn't look comfortable. No, but I feel like... He didn't look comfortable last season when he did play a little bit, and then he just didn't look comfortable this season. And I think that has to do with the fact that um, management sort of moved away from a lot of their veteran leadership. I mean, you lose Alex Petroangelo, who is probably a better player than Justin Falk, in my opinion. Um, right? So, like, I think they've made some decisions, and and as leader in that locker room, you look at it and go, like, I don't know if that's the the best decision i don't know if this is and especially since he's been there for 10 years he he's seen this team go from the bottom to the top and 
I mean, I know he was disappointed for sure with how they handled his uh, his surgeries, right? Like that that's yeah. that's the main reason that he wants out is yeah. that he was disappointed with the surgeries. I hope that we can see the Vladimir Tarasenko that we get we saw, I guess three seasons ago, right? Sixty eight points, thirty three goals, and seventy six games. Like that is the Tarasenko that we got used to. This guy is an elite talent. He scored thirty goals in five straight seasons, forty goals in one of them. Like yep. this guy can play. I just hope we get to see that again because he is a lot of fun when he is on the ice. Um, quickly, Irfan, Colorado yeah. have been listed as the betting favorites for next season. Is this deserved? Or also, by the way, Toronto's third. Who's second? I think it's Tampa. Okay. Okay. But like, is that deserved? Like, no, like I'm a Colorado fan. So like, I've obviously I want to say that they're the betting favorites, but. I don't I think, think they they're deserve to be. <laughs> I think they're top three, yes, but are they number one? No, because I mean, to be honest, you you take a look at how great their squad is, and and I think you can agree with this: is the regular season, they're one of the best teams in the entire league. Come playoff time, they seem to get stuck in the second round or the third round. Um, so they haven't made that jump yet. But I mean, a lot of teams took a while to make that jump. So. I I mean, I, if you're betting on on Colorado to make the the next jump, then I think you might be right. But are they going to win the cup next year? That's still a question mark because I'm still waiting for them to to get to the to the next round. Yeah, and just to actually correct myself is that um, depending on which site you go to, Colorado, okay. Vegas, Tampa are your top three. Toronto's okay. either fourth or fifth. Okay. Um, I mean that that makes a lot of sense. I'm not I'm not sold on the Toronto one. I think they're looking at. I think it depends on, on what happens in the off season. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I, just, I, I, don't, I don't know. I think maybe Colorado's your third favorite, to be honest. I think still Tampa and Vegas get. I think get Colorado and Vegas are, are fighting for that too, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Just because I, we haven't seen Vegas do it either. Vegas has gone on long runs, but yeah. they haven't won anything either. No, but at least they've gone to the finals with the Fair. core that they have versus the Avs who we're waiting for to get to the final because they're just that good. And I Fair think enough. they're just that good. Fair enough. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll yield to that. I get that. That's, that's a good point. Um, one story that, I mean, I wish we didn't have to talk about our phone, but we got to finish off the hockey segment by talking about it is the Chicago Blackhawks story. Um, sexual assault allegations have been, I guess, have come out in the news over mm-hmm. recent weeks uh, based off of 2010, mm-hmm. right? That's 2010. 2009, 2010, yeah. yeah. Um, where a video coach apparently reportedly sexually assaulted two players on the team. Obviously, we can't we can't confirm that, so I'm not going to pretend like we do. Mm-hmm. Um, what have you made of this? Just There's just this whole story and the, the fact that the video coach then ended up getting a a reference for a high school position yeah, and ended up doing allegedly ended up doing the same thing. Um, But what do you make of this whole story or fun and the look that it has not only on the organization, not only on the league, but just in general in the, in the landscape that we are in nowadays. I'll start with the Hawks. I think any sort of sexual assault um, needs to be reported. And the fact that he got a glowing, reference to get his next job just shows you how i don't uh, let's make it clear we don't know if it was a glowing reference we know he got a reference it, it was a positive a, reference because that's okay. what got him the job is what they're saying so okay. here that's, that's what fine. i'll base it off that's of. fine okay. um 
I think it just shows to you that people of harassment or victims of harassment or victims of sexual assault don't really get that. Um, I'm trying to find the right word, so I apologize if it's taking me a while, but um, they don't get that opportunity to, like, even they say, you know, come out and tell us that this happened. So when they do come out and tell you that this happened or someone sees it and tells you it's happened, they're not, you know, they're, they're just, they're getting brushed to the side. And this is what it kind of felt like was like, we tell people who have gone through these experiences or these traumatic experiences to tell us these experiences so we can try and bring it to the forefront, try and talk about it, try and educate people and, and put it out there and say, this isn't right. But what the Hawks did was they covered it up. And on top of that, they went and they went and gave him a reference so he can do it again. And they, they sort of aided into his, his behavior. And they were like, well, you know, we're just not going to cancel him because cancel culture wasn't a thing at that point. So we're just going to try and get rid of him as fast as we can. And this is the best way to do it. They're responsible for what happened next. I think the Hawk, the Blackhawks are are huge and and very much responsible for what happened next. And I think they should be in trouble for it. And as far as the NHL is concerned, I mean, we saw them last year with the George Floyd incident and and say no to racism. They're so slow behind behind all these social uh, movements and all these different movements that you just look at the NHL and you say, no offense, but it just seems like it's controlled by these white guys that. want to keep it a certain way and they forget that there's so many other problems in the game that they need to acknowledge and to me it looks like they don't give a shit about their players they don't care about their fans they're saying to them well if this happens we're just going to brush it on the side and that's probably for me you know how a lot of athletes over the last couple years have come out uh and said that you know we're gay we're lgbtq plus i don't think you make that couple come out this off season and right NFL. i don't think you make this i don't think you make this a safe environment for these guys to thrive especially you know you look at the mental health and you look at the injuries and that's such a huge issue that even the nhl isn't um properly handling so i think i think um the nhl sort of moving into that direction where the mlb is where they you know they can hand punishment over to people or teams but they don't do it um and i'm and i'm glad that there's a lot of fans and a lot of uh, reporters and a lot of uh, individuals talking about this incident to keep bringing it up because I think it's super important to talk about because you can't get away with it. No. Um, and I hope I justified that well. Um, and if I didn't, please let it, please let me know how I can educate myself better uh, on speaking about this. But I think um, it's just unfortunate that, you know, you have a group of guys that you, you, you call family and you can't support them. Yeah. And uh... I don't have much to add to that because I think you did a good job there, Irfan. Um, it's just a bad look overall for the for a very storied franchise. Like, it is the Blackhawks here. This team has been around since the beginning. And just to have this and hearing what is coming out, like, all the players knew. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not like they didn't tell anybody. Everyone knew, and yet they still kind of hit it. Is That's just not cool. The fact that they gave him a reference and he ended up getting a job at a high school yep. is not cool. Um, and obviously there's there's probably more to the story that we don't know because we're just finding out little bits and pieces as they kind of come to light. So we'll follow the story for sure, Earth on you and me, uh, as, yeah. we, as we hear more stuff, and Kyle as well. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about it more when more stuff comes out and maybe when punishment comes out too, because that hasn't yeah. happened yet for anybody. 
Um, so we'll see well, what happens. Um, a lot of people should be in a lot of trouble. Yeah. In my opinion. Well, the problem is, is that how many of those people that were part of the cover-up are still with the organization? Just a handful. I think I think some of the players are still there. And Yeah, but the players weren't the ones who did the cover-up. No, I know. I'm just saying, trying to go back to thinking who's still there. But... Yeah, no, I, I get that. But that's what I'm saying. Like, how many of the front office staff that were part of the cover-up are still with the organization? Mm-hmm. It's really hard to say, oh, we need to hand out punishment when those people aren't even with the organization. Probably the front office staff in the organization now maybe didn't even know about this because it was it was covered up, right? Mm-hmm. So is it fair to put punishment on these guys if they were not even part of it? No, but I mean, I, I think when you fall under the Blackhawks name, right? And I understand, I understand, yeah. like finding the the organization like a, a ridiculous amount of money because based on what happened, they deserve to be fined a ridiculous amount of money. Mm-hmm. Um, I get that, but I'm saying you were saying a lot of people need to be punished. A lot Are of we people talking about were... like the people in the front office at the time need to be like banned from working in the NHL again or a certain yeah, X some, number of years like of suspension yeah. if they're still mm-hmm. working. Because I just don't think it's fair to put punishment on the people in the front office if they weren't part of the, the cover-up, right? Agreed. So, I mean, I think what I was referring to is the people that were there during the incident okay. and, and stayed there during um, okay. this guy's tenure. I think those people should come into the light. Like Stan Bowman should should have questions asked of him. Oh, absolutely. About, well, right? And I mean, if he's still a part of the organization, I think he's still the GM, right? Like I always forget. Because everyone's keeping, I'll look at it. Yeah, up. You, you keep but on. if he's still the GM, then I mean, you know, telling him that you know you take a leave of absence, we you need to deal with this thing, or you know what, this isn't the culture. You can't, you can't promote this. So he's a senior advisor with the Blackhawks. Okay, so he's no longer the GM, but I mean, I, I would say that he no longer has a job with the organization, um, and any money that they're fined shouldn't go to the NHL. I think it should be put into a charity or a trust fund that works with with assault victims um to promote it and talk about it so um i don't know what the punishment will be i don't know what the severity is maybe it'll be a slap on the wrist or maybe it'll actually be you know suspension from the game as long as possible actually, but on. we'll see oh i'm so confused i, I think he's, he's the president of hockey ops and gm still okay i thought he was still the gm it's weird i have two different answers so Anyways. Yeah, I keep getting a senior advisor. No matter, he's still a high-ranking official. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, he should come into a lot of trouble for it. And um, anyone Sorry, who spoke his up... His dad is the senior advisor for the Blackhawks, Scotty. No. That's what it is. Okay. Anyways. Okay. Anyway, besides the point, <laughs> I think it's it's give the people that were there their dues and um, tell them they can't do shit like that, especially if they're you know, still part of the game. And that needs to change the culture. Yeah, I agree. Um, on that note, let's uh, let's move on. Let's That'll do it for our kickoff segment. Sponsored by Canada Kicking Academy. If you're looking for year-round professional development with elite competition, you need to train with the Canada Kicking Academy. The Ferraro brothers, Daniel and Gabe, are both University of Guelph alumni. And after illustrious university careers, they want to teach you everything they've learned over the years. You can visit them at CanadaKickingAcademy.com or follow them on Instagram at Kicking Academy. Also, send best wishes to Gabe. He is just getting ready for the CFL 
training camp with the tie cats. So we wish him the best of luck there. Um, we are going to take a quick break after the breaker fun. We got a lot of soccer to talk about and you, you know us, we can go on forever. So we'll try to keep it focused. Um, uh, but we'll be back right after this. Hey everyone. This is Irfan Manju from touchline thoughts. We are an all soccer podcast hosted by yours truly with guests every episode. We provide news, analysis, and opinions every episode as well. Touchline Thoughts is powered by the Garage Door Sports Network, and you can listen to us on your favorite podcatcher. Cheers. It's fitting that our commercial was, you know, Touchline Thoughts, because we have a lot of <laughs> soccer to talk about, Irfan. And by a Thank lot, you. I mean a lot. Mm-hmm. Gold Cup starts today. Yes. Euro final is tomorrow. CPL, which I don't even think we're going to get to the CPL, is well underway. We've seen some incredible soccer up in Winnipeg. But we got to start with the big tournaments. And, of course, let's start with Copa because the Copa final is tonight. Mm -hmm. Tonight, Argentina versus Brazil. Is it finally Argentina's time to raise a trophy above their head? I don't know. To be honest with you, neither Brazil nor Argentina's looked comfortable um, in a lot of the games. And I've, I've sat through a few of them and my dad always calls and goes, okay, Brazil's playing. Watch the game. <laughs> um, yes, or Argentina's play. Um, so I don't think either team's looked comfortable winning any games. Um, they've won narrowly for some of them. They, I don't know. Like the, I think this is a um, it's going to be a good final because I think they have a lot to prove and Messi wants to win. They're 0 for 9 in, in major competitions. Do they win the tournament? I'm not sure. Just because of the way they've played. Same thing with Brazil. I think it's a it's a coin flip in my opinion. Um, as a neutral, that's what you want to hear. But if you're a fan of either club or either country, I should say, you probably go, no, no, no. Our team is better. Um, but in that voice too. In that voice. Um, no, but Brazil hasn't won. <laughs> Sorry, that voice just came out. Um, uh, Brazil hasn't lost at home in the final. So I think that that bodes huge for them and their advantages. But um, one thing I've noticed with Argentina is everything keeps running through Messi. Um, and as obviously that's just as it should. <laughs> um, but no one really... S- um, it worries you if you're if you're in a, if you're Brazil. I mean, yeah, you can shut down Lutero Martinez, which won't be difficult with uh, Marquinhos playing. Um, but if if Anheldi Maria gets a start, I think that that will change the dynamic because I mean he didn't play last game. He came on a little later on and completely changed um, the pace of the game. So it depends on how they do that. Um, I think Brazil for once aren't trying to run their attack only through Neymar. You have guys like Lucas Paqueta, um, Bobby Firmino's having a good tournament. Um, Casemiro's found his, found his legs a little bit. So uh, I'm going to give the edge to Brazil, but okay. not by much. Okay. Um, you talk about the attack of Argentina being very, very one dimensional. Do you think they have better attacking options on the bench? You, you talked about Di Maria. What about Aguero? Like these are guys yeah. who are on the bench, right? Like, could they could they find a way into the lineup to play Brazil because they have more experience in the final? Well, I would hope so. Um, I mean, these guys are sitting on the bench. I mean, they're two big time players, but they're also players that have been with a national team for so long to the point where I think 
the the coaching staff is trying to inject some youth and, and some fresh faces and kind of get them used to the fact that you won't have the likes of Messi, De Maria, Aguero anymore. Um, and I mean, you, it's really hard to drop Leo, but I think you can justify dropping the other two. Um, but for the final, I would hope that one of them or both of them get a start or at least an appearance because, I mean, they know how to play up against um, Marquinhos. They know what it takes to press against um, Casemiro. They they know how to shut down Neymar or at least what to do on Neymar. And I think that's why Di Maria might get a start over Aguero. Um, but I think they're going youth and, and, and they're going fresh faces is, is what I've gotten from them from this tournament. Them And they're trying things and, and they're trying and they're succeeding because they're in the final. I mean, they got here, right? And yeah. it wasn't necessarily the prettiest uh, line to the final, but they won in penalties, which you don't see very often from Argentina in the mm-hmm. semi over Colombia. They walked over Ecuador in in the uh, quarters. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, like, walked. They won 3-0. Like, that's a, that's a pretty good walking. And then their four group stage matches, they were 4-1 against Bolivia, 1-0, 1-0. And then they drew their first match against Chile. Mm-hmm. So they've been, I think, slowly getting better in the tournament. Colombia is a very good team. Let's not deny that. So going to kicks with Colombia isn't like a terrible thing. It almost feels like this team is just pushing or waiting for this final to happen so that they can see how good they are, in my opinion. It just looks that way, right? The, the blue mm-hmm. and white have not played at their best yet so it'll be interesting to see how they kind of come together in the final match and if they are able to play to their to the highest ability it's also concerning that the team has how many goals 13 goals and Mm -hmm. four of them are from Messi with five assists yeah that's very very one-dimensional and the two guys with the only other two guys with assists are fun on Argentina in the tournament. Can you name them? Uh, Lutero Martinez is one, and Di Maria should be there. You're I wrong. Think. Both both of them? No, Di Maria yeah. and Aguero. Yeah. <laughs> and they didn't start last game. Yep, <laughs> that says a lot. I mean, but as logic, time, yeah. I mean, we talk about Argentina not getting a lot of goals. Brazil haven't scored a lot nope. this tournament. Um, you know, ba- barely beating Peru, barely beating Chile. Um, very lucky to beat Colombia in that game. Um, it was uh, a pass that hit a referee, and usually that's a dead play. The pass ended up making it to a Brazil player, and they scored off off that transition. Um, cheeky, yeah, super cheeky. And Colombia stopped playing, which the, every coach tells you never stop playing until you hear a whistle. So fault on them for that. But um, Brazil ended up scoring a later goal in that game in the extra added time of like 10 minutes or whatever it was, it was ridiculous, but that's what I'm saying. Like I'm giving Brazil that slight edge, but Brazil also haven't looked comfortable. Um, They're going through this, this tactical change. I mean, you're seeing Neymar play off um, more of a, I'm going to attack you, but I'm also going to try and come back and help now. Um, And that's not something we've seen from him. He would never do that. In club. He's been doing that. He's been coming back to no, receive but I'm saying, in club soccer. He would never do that in club soccer. Oh, not because in club soccer he has Marco Verratti behind him. He doesn't have to worry about. No, that. but like he would never do it. It never no. would in a million years. Would you ever see Neymar track back in club soccer? No, because no manager will ever ask him to. No, because he'll tell you that I, I'm, I'm here to score. Yeah, um, which by the but way, but they haven't looked joke. comfortable. They haven't looked comfortable, and and that's, 
and neither team has. But I mean, we're in a situation where I think the best team in the tournament was Colombia, um, and and they and they got third. So, I mean, the big names are through. This is what we expect. But I, I think Colombia was the best team in this tournament, and and that's that's saying something. The one thing to watch with the Brazilians is their attack seems to be very very balanced. They only have two guys with two goals, mm-hmm. and then they have eight others with one. That's a lot of distribution. So it'll be interesting to see how Argentina defends that. Um, Flipping over to the other giant continental tournament that's finishing this weekend, Irfan. Euro Cup, the final is set. England, Italy. Is it coming home? (laughs) I hate that. Oh God. Um, no. Could I have set that up better for you? <laughs> uh, that was perfect. Um, no, it's not coming home. Um, I think the Italians are just much better. And really I do. And, and, and I wasn't high on them to start the season, uh, to start the tournament, I should say. Um, but I think Italy progressively just look better. Um, the only game where I think they were outplayed and probably didn't deserve to win it was that Spain game because I thought the Spanish looked phenomenal. So you mean the last game? That was the last game, right? <laughs> the last game. But they got through because they found a way to win. And and for a big club, or I keep saying club, um, big country to win at, at a tournament like this, you have to find a way to win games even when you look like you're not going to win them. Yes, absolutely. Um, and it's a true testament to the youth and the experienced group of guys that they have, as well as Roberto Mancini. It it doesn't look like the normal Italy where they're just going to put some lines in front of you and you can't break them. They actually look attractive when they play. Yes, it's absolutely. like good football. And and I go back and I've said this on Touchline Thoughts to Page as well. They look like the Manchester City of 2010, 2011, 2012 under Roberto Mancini when they were fluid, they were moving, they they looked good. Defensively, they were very solid, but they looked good going forward. Right. And that's not something I usually say to put Italy and attacking football in the same sentence. Um, and that's why I'm giving them the edge in this one. Um, I've also enjoyed all their games. Um, okay. My biggest question mark for England is Jordan Pickford. And I think you might've asked me that after, but um, defensively, they've looked solid. I think offensively they look good. I think Raheem Sterling deserves a lot of credit and I'm his biggest critic. Um, So I will admit that. I will admit that. I think he deserves a lot of credit for how well he's playing. Um, Penalty or not, he's been playing great. Um, Here's the thing. Okay, before mm -hmm. before you move on, it was a penalty. It wasn't a hard penalty. It was a penalty though. I want to make that very clear. (laughs) No, no, 100%. I know it is a penalty. It was soft. I think the the play earlier in the game when I think King got fouled twice and then got knocked in the box, that was an actual penalty because he got his legs taken out under him. The thing is, Uh, he probably got... I think Sterling actually got fouled two or three times on that run into the box. He did. And And a lot of people saying, well, he's already falling and he's going to dive. No, there was contact. He went down no matter how soft it it was really soft, but it was still a penalty. I really but am I'm tired quite, of the story that it was. It shouldn't be a penalty. Are you quite surprised that the ref didn't use VAR at all in I this did. game? He, he, well, he didn't go over to the board. Oh like yeah, every other well, that's ref. because they told him, "Hey, listen, you're good. Don't like VAR yeah. was used." Yeah. And if the VAR officials say, "Yeah, you're good," then I don't have a problem. With well, that. I mean, I think people are asking the magnitude of this game. Do you still not go to take a look? It was a foul. 
I'm not saying it wasn't. I'm just saying that, um, especially with so much on the line and extra time, do not go and take an extra look. No. No. If, okay. if the people are telling me that I don't need to take an extra look, why would I go take an extra look? No, I agree with you. And and I think the communication there was fine. But yeah. I think if you're if you're, you know, roughing such a huge match. I get that. But yeah. if if they tell me that I don't need to go take a look, why am I running across <laughs> the field to take a look at something that they tell me I don't need to take a look at? That's fair. just silly in my opinion. Fair, fair, so. fair. Um, but no, it was a penalty. I'm glad we uh, back to England. I think their weakest problem is Jordan Pickford. Every time that ball comes at his feet, I'm like hiding behind a pillow oh, God, because awful. <laughs> um, awful. I think with Italy's ability to press this tournament with Chiesa, Insignia, Immobile, Verratti pushing in and then Jorginho coming from the back there. Um, I think if they can put enough pressure for Maguire and Stones to pass the ball back, I think it, I think a mistake from Pickford might be the the biggest designer between these two clubs, oh, between these two countries. That'd be awful. That would that would be legitimately awful. But it it kind of fits the narrative that England goalkeepers just whiff at tournaments. If Henderson's healthy, is he the starter? I think Nick Pope is the starter if he's healthy. Okay. Yeah, I think but he's a better. Shot I, I've I've watched Henderson play a lot because I know he's part of the United system. So right. I've watched him play a lot. He's okay with the ball at his feet. Yeah. I'm not saying he's the best goalie on the world in the world with the ball at his feet, but he's pretty good with the ball at his feet. Does he start because you're more confident with the pass backs that these defenders are giving him because he can play the ball at his feet? I think so. I think Maguire and Shaw are a little bit more confident having Henderson. Well, I mean, they've only played with him for a year and he right. But I mean, I'm saying still that still that, uh, you know, that that sort of confidence. By the way, yes, by the way, sir. John Stones will not play at United. <laughs> not that it was just a thought. No. It was just a thought. No. It was just a no. thought. I put um, it out I wanna, there. I want to throw something back at you, though, because you mentioned sure. that uh, England, or sorry, Italy got better throughout the tournament. Um, and they were, well, was, you said something, and I can't remember exactly what you said. But you were talking about how they got better throughout the tournament. I would argue mm-hmm. that England has actually gotten significantly better throughout the tournament. And have played better defense than Italy throughout the tournament. This is a team that has given up one goal or two goals the entire tournament. One. 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 Is it one? I wasn't sure if it was one or two. I couldn't remember. One. It was the Damsgaard. Beautiful free kick over the wall. Did they not give up one against Germany? No. They want to know. They want to know. There you go. Mm -hmm. They've given up one goal in the entire tournament. One. And it probably should have been saved. Yes. But what a sweet strike. So What a sweet about, strike. Yes. But you're talking about a team that in Italy who is has the line set up so that you can't attack them. The defense of England has been the best defense in the entire Euro, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I know they might not have played the toughest competition in the group stage. But they still went up against a couple squads that have attacking ability. And in the in the knockout round, they've played Germany, who mm-hmm. was second in their division. Right? Mm-hmm. They ended up playing, obviously, Denmark, who was flying coming into that game. And they've only given up one goal the whole tournament. Mm-hmm. And they're playing at home! <laughs> so it might be coming home. It might be um, coming home, Irfan. I'm sorry to say it, dude. It might be coming home. Listen, I agree that their defense has been great. And I know if you've 
if you hear Paige says this all the time, they worry her so much because you don't know what you're going to get. But yes, they've been the better defensive side. The biggest question, though, is they played a Germany squad that had one good game all tournament, didn't look very good um, after that. And then you take Denmark, who to me, their legs stopped working for them after the 65th minute. They just looked a little tired, a little slow um, because of all the travel and the movement stuff. So they haven't really played a side that looks confident and sure and has been on a winning streak of 33 games. That's the difference that I'm looking at. I'm looking at the confidence Italy's coming in with, and I go, this is actually England's toughest test this tournament, obviously, because it's the final. Um, but I, I mean, there's no one that's really pressured their defense. There's no one that's, you know, seen a Kyle Walker mistake and actually capitalized on it. Or, or, to be or fair, seen... Kyle Walker really hasn't made any mistakes, and if he does, he's fast enough to cover them up. This, this he is fast. Yeah, he really um, hasn't he... made many mistakes this tournament. No, he's made one or two. And the good thing about um, England this this tournament is that they're so prepared for any counterattack that there's four guys or five guys ready to come back um, immediately. Like Declan Rice will play the deep guy or. Calvin Phillips will do the same thing. But if you look at it, they kind of play with the back three, even with the back four. Um, I was p- looking at some of the tactics. Take a look on uh, one football. Uh, excuse me. They do a good job showing you the movements in and out of space and stuff like that. And that's probably why Saka gets a lot of the starts because he has the ability to cover a lot of ground. Um, and that's no knock to David and Sancho, but take a look at the tactics. Um but again, it's that Jordan Pickford mistake that's going to be the difference, in my opinion. When he clears the ball out or he's yelling at his defenders and you're like, why are you yelling? You're the one who made the mistake. <laughs> um, so that's that's my dif- uh, difference between the two squads. What are you looking at here for this tournament? Yeah. Um, see, here's my thing. I know mm-hmm. everyone keeps talking about the uh, the undefeated streak. Right. They've played crap competition for most of that undefeated streak. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, they pulled out a 2-1 win over Belgium. The last, the last like, big squad that they played prior to that was the Netherlands in UEFA Nations League. And they drew. Mm. Before that, they beat the Netherlands in the UEFA League. And these are both in 2020, by the way. 1-0. I wouldn't say they've played any like big powerhouse teams. They barely beat Austria in the uh, in the quarterfinal. Mm-hmm. 2-1 in extra time. They barely beat Wales, in my opinion, in the round of 16. Like I actually thought Wales played pretty good in that match. They won 1-0 Italy. But then before that, they played Switzerland, Turkey, Czech Republic, San Marino, Lithuania, Bulgaria, Northern Ireland, who they only beat 2-0. Like, this undefeated streak is the most ridiculous way to try to boost up Italy or fun. I'm sorry. Because a lot of it, I think they've only played five super competitive teams in the undefeated streak. Mm-hmm. And they drew three of those matches. Right. I think more so saying there, it's the confidence going into it is what I was trying to allude to more so than the fact that they played mediocre uh, competition, which again, I think we, we've also agreed to that even in the tournament, except for the Belgian and Spain game, um, they didn't really play anyone that yeah. scared them, and, but they've looked good. And, and that's something they've looked good. 
I just yeah. don't think like everyone keeps touting this undefeated streak, and it's not just you. I, I'm only saying it to you because you just brought it up as well. People mm-hmm. keep using this undefeated streak <clears throat> to say, "Oh, Italy's destined to win this game because they're on a 33 match undefeated streak." Yeah, but the undefeated streak isn't that impressive when you actually break it down. <laughs> right, right. People are just looking at the collected number. No, I get that, but I mean, I was just using it as a point of yeah. of confidence. But That's I mean. Fair. Um, like I said, it, it's going to be a tight game. Um, it's another coin toss, but I'm oh, giving the edge to Italy just because of their ability to to take the channels away. But that's about it. You know what? I think it's going to come home. I think it's going to be a one nil match. Cool. I'll be happy um, for that too. <laughs> I just think I just think neither team is going to like wow in this game, which is kind of mm-hmm. disappointing. And then we're going to see like a one counter attack from England and just say. All right, I guess we're there. <laughs> yep. Which has worked for the most of the tournament anyways to yeah. catch somebody sleeping. Um, quickly, Irfan, let's yes. switch to the Gold Cup. Um, yes. And that starts today. First match is today. We're going to focus on Canada. We'll, we'll get a little bit more into the Gold Cup next week with Kyle um, mm-hmm. and fully break down the tournament because we're running a little bit short on time here today. But <laughs> Gold Cup, Canada will be missing Alfonso Davies. That was announced yesterday. Yep. Can they still pull through in this tournament? Obviously, their group isn't the easiest because they have the states in the group. But then they have Haiti and Martinique, I believe. Yes. They can get out of the group. I, I, I don't deny that fact. They have, a good, they have a good enough squad to come through on this group. But after that, what happens? Do they are they going to go for a long run? Is this the is this the Canada's next generation that will be able to get us to a knockout round in the Gold Cup? I mean, it hurts to lose your best player, to be well, honest yeah. with you. Um, but I think I have some faith in this team. Um, they have a lot of players playing in Europe. They have a lot of players understanding the game a lot better than they did ten years ago. Um, Jonathan David's been a great player. Kyle Aaron's been great. Um, you still have Atiba Hutchinson doing Atiba Hutchinson things. Um, and then you have John Herdman as a coach. I, you know, I, I don't see them going far and that's okay because they're still developing. They're still trying to figure out their feet. Um, but getting out of this group, I think is still a possibility. I think they have enough talent if they can shut it down defensively and just wait for a counter attack, they can beat teams like Martinique and, and Haiti. Yeah. I mean, the nice thing is, is that they can't play a, Mexico or El Salvador or Honduras in the knockout stage until the final. Mm. Or sorry, that's not true. They could see them in the uh, semis. Right. But they get the, if Canada finished second in their group, right? Cause I'm assuming it's going to come down to the States and Canada for first. Let's just say the States win the group stage match just because they don't have Davies. Right. Which mm-hmm. is, Honestly, the way the U.S. has been playing, it's not a stretch to say that Canada Canada could win that group stage match, by the way, Mm -hmm. the way they've been playing. But let's say the States win and we end up finishing second. We get the winner of Costa Rica, Jamaica, Suriname, and Guadalupe in that quarterfinal. Imagine if we finish first, then we get the second place team out of those four. That's a pretty favorable draw for the U.S. and Canada, in my opinion. You don't have to play Mexico. You don't have to play El Salvador. You don't have to play Trinidad. You don't have to play Honduras. You don't have to play Panama. Like, that's a really favorable draw for those two nations. So, 
we could see them both go through to the semifinal, possibly. I don't know. That's my opinion. I, what, what do you think, Irfan? I don't think you're on the wrong path, but I mean, I think you still, without your best player, I, I'm still a little worried about, are you able to go toe-to-toe with the U.S. player by player, right? Yeah, um, but that are you still able... puts a second, right? It does. Um, and even if you get, let's say, get to the semis to play Mexico, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, and whatever order, um, are they going to be able to beat It would probably team? be Mexico. Yeah, but... <laughs> then I think they'll lose. Um, but I, I still think Canada's in a good position, and then I'll, I'll agree with you on that one. Um, still, I mean, you lose you lose a name that's super important to your squad. It's a big question mark, but I, I think I think John Herdman has a good squad. Um, and that's the thing. I think we have a lot of attacking options on this squad that we've never had before, right? So losing an Alfonso Davies who plays wing for Canada, he doesn't play back, right? We yep. have a different back line. They might be able to fill it okay. Obviously, you're not, you're not going to fill it to the same degree that Davies brings, but we got players like Junior Hoylet, who comes off the bench a lot for this national team now. This is still a pretty solid player, a guy with some wicked speed down the line. Maybe he can fill in and, and do a, an admirable job for the Canadian national team in this tournament. Obviously, it sucks losing Davies, but... I don't think this team is going in with the mindset like, oh yeah, we're screwed. No. And they it just shows us it just shows us that, you know, we keep we keep putting so much pressure on Alfonso Davies as our best player. But is. these players are still very, very good. I mean, Jonathan David had a great season this year, right? So Yep. All he's right. a dangerous guy. Okay. We're gonna take another quick break here, Irfan. Um, and then we'll come back, talk some NBA finals, and get on out of here. So we will be right back after this. Good day, everybody. This is Ryan from 20 Minutes on Ice. Join me and my co-host Nick McVicker for opinions and analysis on the week that was in the hockey world. New episodes available every Tuesday, wherever you download your favorite podcasts from 20 Minutes on Ice, part of the Garage Door Sports Network. All right, Irfan, let's jump right into it. NBA Finals, Suns leading the series 2-0 already. Is it their trophy? Sorry. No, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of basketball left. I don't think it's over yet. I know they're they're up to to zip, but I I, I think this is going six or seven. Um, I don't think it's it's done yet. I still think the Suns will win this, yes, um, but I don't think it's as easy as it's looked on. on They've looked really good, though. They looked very good. Yes, I agree with you. Um, Shout out to Haley for for her wonderful tweets during these games. Um, Keeps me super entertained, even when I can't catch one. So shout out to our our friend. Her love of Devin Booker is... uh, Oh, it's fantastic. But also the fact that even though her love shows for Devin Booker, she still talks basketball and it's it's amazing. But she talks basketball all the time. Um, Yes, so I do agree they look good, but um, these two next games in Milwaukee will be the decider, obviously, because it's it's either it's a sweep or not. But I think it, it, Milwaukee plays better at home. Um, they might wake up with a crowd. Um, let's see how that that pressure plays on the Suns and if they can split the series here. This is this is theirs to win. And as LeBron says, CP four, uh, CP three has two more to go. 
two more. He's counting them down. I mean, that's a friend there, like cheering him on regardless of what's going on. Uh, I, I love to see it, but I think this is the Suns to lose at this point. Like they are, they are flying. Thirty-one points from Booker in Game Two. Twenty-seven from Michael Bridges. 23 from Paul, who also added 8 assists. DeAndre Ayton added 10 and 11 rebounds. Like, everyone is contributing. Whereas you look on the other side, Giannis has no help right now. Well, no. Holland and Middleton scored 42 points in game two. The next highest buck, Drew Holiday was 17. I'm sorry, that's not good enough. And I'm sorry, Middleton with 11 points? That's a joke. This is a guy who was an NBA All-Star. You can't be scoring 11 points in the playoff in a finals game if you're an All-Star. That is not good enough. So they're combined for my stat guy. So My stat guy. Combined. That's usually me. Hey, wait a minute. No, no, I'm, I'm telling you as my stat guy, I have a stat for you. Oh, okay. Um, so Middleton and Holiday have a combined 67 points in two games. That is not good enough in my head. No, and Giannis is 42 in one game. I'm sorry, but that's the problem. 67 points averages about 33 and a half per game. About that they're each averaging 16 points. Yeah, which is... Which if you're a fourth, a third, fourth, or fifth option, maybe that's okay. But as two guys who are battling to be the number two option on the team, it's not good enough. Well, yeah, that's what I brought. They brought Holiday in for this reason. Yeah, it's just not good enough. Um, a couple of questions going around uh, the media here is should Lopez get more minutes? Uh, there's a stat that he's, he hasn't played much. And I mean, with, with Middleton and played almost and, 30 minutes. Well, they're, they're about, it's in that he's down about 17% okay. of his minutes compared to the rest of the playoffs. Okay. That's just a stat. I mean, but again, I mean, he's still playing 30 minutes, which is a hell of a lot of time, but in a series where you're not getting a lot from, from your two, your your number two, number three guy, do you just tr- start maybe going smaller and, and letting Lopez take some shots? Possibly. I mean, he he in game one he played twenty three minutes and had seventeen points, mm-hmm. right? And on seven of fourteen shooting, and then in game two he had twenty eight minutes and he only had eight points, but he had nine rebounds and was four for ten. Both of those field goal percentages are higher than what Holiday and Middleton have. Right. Now, granted, he's not taking many threes, although he did hit three threes in game one. Lopez, which is yeah. astounding, by the yeah, way. He's got a good he's got a good jumper. Just but he's not known for three point shooting. No, he's so not. to hit three in a game is, is pretty good for him. Mm-hmm. Um I mean maybe, yeah, maybe you do throw him out there a little bit more, but does that throw off your rotation? That's the question, right? Like this is a team that built on their rotation. Do they have right. the ability to play him more? But at this point, you're down 2-0 to the best team in the NBA in the last two years. At what point do you just say, you know what, to hell with it. It's the finals. Let's just adjust as we go rather than sticking hmm. to it. And that's the, that's the same thing we asked the Haps. I was going like to say, he, this sounds familiar to what I was saying. Right, right. right. <laughs> I, I'm just bringing that back. We said the same thing about the Haps. They stuck to a structure, and yeah. it, it was something that worked for them when they got to overtime. But um, aside from the last 10 minutes, like you pointed out, it didn't. It wasn't working for them. So same thing here with the Bucks. The Bucks have been deeper in playoffs consistently over the last few years, and there's always that one little thing where they just get outplayed. 
or they just can't get to the next stage or they're not willing to adjust. Um, so, I mean, that's just a huge question mark is whether or not they're willing to tweak some things and maybe change their style of play just a little bit to, to counterbalance what they're getting. Yeah. Well, it's, I think the really scary number for me is that there's only, there was only one buck player who was a positive plus minus in game two. And it was Giannis. That's not good. Right. And the yeah. next closest guy was Lopez. He was a minus one across the game. Mm-hmm. So I also don't know who they're putting in. Like, I don't know what their rotation is because they don't have another center on the line in the lineup that played in game two. Mm-hmm. So are they playing Giannis at the at the five when Lopez is off? Or are they playing Tucker at the five when Lopez is off? Like, mm-hmm. who is marking Aiton when Lopez is not on the floor? Like, am I, are they putting Bobby Portis? He's not tall enough to play against Aiton. That's just silliness. I don't get it. Who's playing? I can't tell you. Irfan, I'm confused. <laughs> I can't tell you. Um, I mean, I, I guess you can swing PJ Tucker and do that, but then you're losing him somewhere else. So, like, I just don't know who. I just don't know who would play there. Like, they, they gotta don't even have another center. They gotta come out of game, come out for game three flying. They have to win this game or else this is done. Absolutely. And then I will be, and then I'll be on your side. I'll say yes. I think this is the Suns to lose, but I still think there's. There's a possibility for them to come back to Phoenix 2-2. Fair enough. All right. Uh, one quick question that has been going around social media and the chaosness that is social media. With all of the injuries this season in the playoffs, we saw, I think, 10 or 11 All-Stars go down with injuries throughout the playoff run. Not just for one specific team, but just overall. Mm-hmm. Is this another asterisk asterisk ring like last year that social media likes to dub? I don't think, first of all, I don't think last year should have been an asterisk ring because that was was a mess up of a season and they they still had to play through it. But is this another asterisk ring like social media keeps saying? No. Look at, look at, uh, you're my stack guys. Look at the numbers, right? Like we agree with this. Look at, look back at the numbers. The Phoenix Suns have been the best basketball team for the last two years, including the bubble. They came back and they've been fantastic. Um, they had a great year this year, right? So no, it's not a big asterisk. And the Bucks have been a consistent team for a few years as well under Giannis. So no, it's not a fluke ring. It's not a big asterisk. No, these are two teams that deserve to be in the finals. Just because you don't see LeBron there or you're not seeing uh, the Golden State Warriors there or the old San Antonio Spurs, for example. It doesn't or take Brooklyn. away Brooklyn. It doesn't take away from the fact that Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Giannis Attendacombo, Chris Middleton, Holiday, whatever you want to name, they all deserve to be in the final. No asterisks for me. And there's no asterisks last year as, as well. Um, teams had to play in the bubble. They had to scrap away at the bubble. Just because there's no fans doesn't mean that there should be an asterisk outside on the, on the name. No, it's just something that has been asked, and I, I get... I get frustrated seeing it on social media mm-hmm. because these players are still going through a grueling stretch where you have to play playoff caliber games, regardless of whether it was in the bubble last year where you couldn't even see your family for the first couple rounds or this year where it's just been chaos. 
I just get so frustrated that people keep saying, oh, yeah, it's an asterisk year because all these players got injured. Shut up. Shut up and enjoy it. <laughs> it makes me laugh because of people saying that it's an asterisk year and you're like, can you do this? No. It's a lot of work to be a professional athlete, man. I don't know what to say to you. Like, I mean, you know, there's a, the thing with last year's Tampa Bay win with the big asterisk because it's in the People bubble. People are saying this year Tampa Bay win is a big asterisk because of the salary cap. Who thing. gives like, a crap? So get your team to play like them. Bring in all these players and tell them to be injured or something and then show us what you got in the playoffs. Because to be honest, if you're not going to change the, the format that you're mad about, let's say salary cap or the bubble, then, well, sorry, that's just sports. You wanted sports, we gave you sports, and now you're complaining about who's winning. I just get frustrated because it's like, these guys have been put through the ringer the last few years, but all the championships are asterisks. It's like, shut up. That's a little pull. Shut up. No. I don't care. Uh, Before I get too heated, Irfan. (laughs) So, okay, okay, question then. If Chris Paul wins this championship, a guy who I think deserves anything that comes his way, positive things that come his way. There's probably two guys in the NBA that deserve a championship more than a lot of people who haven't got one yet. And I would say it's Chris Paul and Carmelo Anthony. Mm -hmm. Based on everything that they've done in their careers and everything that they've been through on crappy teams, those two guys probably deserve a championship. And Chris Paul is two games away, and you're going to call out an asterisk. No, no. I, I, If he wins this, I'm giving you whatever he wants. He can... Man, give him the presidency or something. I don't care. He's that good. (laughs) I'm going far. That's okay. And that just means we should (laughs) transition. Let's wrap it up, my friend. Uh, (laughs) Let's get to final thoughts. I guess it is that time of the day. So um, start with you, man. Final thought of the week. Uh, Wimbledon finals are this week. Um, Ash Barty just defeated eighth rank Karina Pliskova um, to win her first Wimbledon title. By the way, I don't know if you saw this. She's actually WTA ranked 13th, by the way, Pliskova. Because a couple of players. Oh, yeah, she was eighth in the Wimbledon. Yep. They did um, like power rankings, so current form power rankings, and they were one, two. Oh, nice. Sorry, it's just uh, my random thought of the day, but continue. No, yes. no. Um, so, congratulations to Ash Barty, world number one, first Australian women to win since 1980. Um, that's amazing. So. Uh, great job, and then tomorrow's the the men's final. So, that's by the way, exciting. incredible tennis this year at Wimbledon. Two yeah. Canadians making it to the court or to the the semis. They both yep. made no two to the quarters, one to the semis, one to the semi. Yeah, and playing Shop great. Along. I think those two are going to be problems in the next few years in in the tennis ranks. OJ Aliassime and Chapo, but. Um, it was just so entertaining to watch this. You just turn it on in the morning when I'm eating breakfast. It's like, oh, this is good tennis. This is what we missed. Um, My final thought. Huge shout out to great stories this week. And I'm going to I'm gonna highlight one. But there were so many great stories this week in soccer, in baseball, in hockey. But the one I want to talk about is the San Diego Padres pitcher. <laughs> David Camarena. Called up. I think it was Thursday night for the game Thursday in his first at bat of the game, not, not of his career because he was called up earlier this year, but first at bat of the game against Max Scherzer of all people base is loaded and he takes a pitch that nobody should be swinging at because it was in his box at his foot takes it out for a home run. 
That's incredible. That that feeling must have just been phenomenal walking those bases. Man. Like you're looking right on the uh, across the diamond and you see one of the best pitchers in the game and you hit Standing it. Standing 66 and six then three and three quarter inches away from him or something. I always get yeah. that wrong, but sixty-six feet away. But like what a moment. Um just went and got it. That was a good moment. I liked it. That swing was you shouldn't be swinging at that pitch. <laughs> but the fact that he had enough you saw power the pitch to phone. that was not a, that was and not a home run that... pitch. No, because I saw it it dip and I was like, oh, like he's gonna swing and miss, and then he just like goes in, gets it, and puts all the power onto it, and it's out. Yeah. So full so, marks to him for him. Doing that. I'm glad yeah. he got that moment. He's a San Diego boy too, at home. Like that's just that's one of those moments that you just never forget. So does he pinch hit now? Had you bring no. him from the moment and say, <laughs> Not you're gonna. You're gonna pinch hit for us, um, unless they're they're thinking about making a pitching change, and he was the guy coming in. He might pinch hit in that scenario, yeah. but I don't see it happening. But we've seen worse. Like, dude, the story about Shohei Otani not taking batting practice all year is just astounding to me. Guy leads the league in home runs with 33, and he hasn't taken batting practice once since the season started. How do you do that? He's made differently. He's in the all-star <laughs> he's, game as a DH a and he's pitching. of nature. Uh, first ever to do that. Like, holy crap. And honestly, everyone keeps talking about how uh, we're seeing the modern day Babe Ruth. Forget that. He is the first Shohei Otani. Yeah. I don't care what you say. He is the first Shohei Otani. And we are blessed to be watching this athlete at work. Nothing more to it. Mm. Nothing more to it. Irfan, we did it. We survived another week. You are done dealing with me for this week. No, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> um, we got a lot going on, obviously, with the network. We got a lot of things coming up, so make sure you tune in. Don't know what happened there. Our screen just went black, but we're back. Um, make sure you tune in next week when we bring you the next episode of Garage Door Sports, obviously, as well as all of the shows this week. Touchline Thoughts, 20 Minutes on Ice, we'll both be back this week. Uh, Betting House should be back this week. I think everyone's home. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of vacation and travel time in that in that group there. So I think they're coming back this week. We'll see. Um, if not, make sure you tune back here because we'll bring you some betting stuff next week as well. Uh, but for Irfan Manji, for obviously Kyle, who was not here with us, I'm Nick McVicker. Thank you for watching. We will see you next time.